What's going on, everybody? We are going live on iHealth Radio now with Sean O'Neill, a good friend of mine, a mental performance coach, a teacher. He brings a wealth of experience and knowledge. He worked as a baseball coach for many years. Today's opening day. And, you know, I'll tell you, the one thing that's amazing about opening day when you're the rehab coordinator for the Cardinals is everybody leaves Jupiter and goes to Bush Stadium, wherever they're playing, and it gets awfully quiet, and you finally get some sleep for a day or two, and then you're back on the grind. So happy opening day. Baseball will always have a place in my heart and download the iHealth Radio app on the Google Play Store, the App Store, and listen to us live. And I'm super psyched to be joined by, uh, by Sean O'Neill, excuse me, who's right here to the other side of my computer here. And uh, I'm sitting in Bush Stadium in the dugout just for the theme. So again, download the iHealth Radio app, check out my story. You can call in. The number is 848 848- 482-8052. Again, that's 848-482-8052. Got to go for the show. Please join me. We'll talk soon. You got this down. I don't even know where it comes from. Okay, we're going live in a second. Let's get a little fist pump going. I'm excited. Always. Going mm. national. A little frightening. <laughs> going national baby got a little theragun no no nervousness all excited tension it's all mindset okay we're gonna teach people about that hair looks good got the hat on for the for the baseball theme i went with the full dome dude it's beautiful everybody we are back live on iHealth Radio I'm joined by an amazing guest Sean O'Neill my name is Dr. David Meyer sports performance physical therapist and today we're talking all about mental performance so before we jump into today's episode just a few quick little announcements we come live on iHealth Radio every Thursday at 7:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and we talk about all things related to healthcare sports and the management of injuries, your overall wellness, and how a mental approach to it can really transform your life. So today, we are joined by Sean O'Neill. Sean O'Neill is certified through Brian Kane as a mental performance coach, one of the most prestigious mental performance certifications, especially in the world of baseball. Brian Kane worked hand-in-hand with Matt Carpenter. I believe they both went to TCU together during their playing days in college. And Brian Kane has really created an amazing program. And I quickly met Sean as I created my own podcast, the Injured to Elite podcast, early before the pandemic. Yes, pre-pandemic things we're talking about. But today's going to be a really awesome interview and conversation with Sean because he's not just a mental performance coach. He's a teacher. And in some of the ancient times, 
in, in the in the the Greek times, teachers were at the at the the top, and I think we're heading back towards that. I think we're going into a renaissance where teachers are going to to get, especially with youth, are going to start getting more of the respect they deserve. Sean is a living, breathing example of somebody who loves sports who is looking to better the world through academics, through athletics, and through the mind. So without further ado, Sean, welcome to the show, my man. Hey, Dave, thank That was quite the, uh, the introduction there. I, I'm, I hope I live up to all your uh, good billings there. We have a lot to talk about, Sean, and we got to first start out with a special shout-out to the one, the only Russ Tavares. Ah, yes. Uncle Russ. Infinity Sports. Uncle Russ. All right. I like that. So Russ Tavares, a physical therapist who I won't say any names of the athletes, but let's say some Long Island based professional baseball players that he's had quite a lot of success with. And he's he's also integrating the mental side into rehab and working with athletes. So hats off to Russ. And thank you, Russ, for introducing me to, to you, Sean, and buying my book and really connecting me through the pot with me through the podcast. And I, I knew right away that eventually we were going to do an episode. And today, April Fool's Day, opening day, I told you to bring a good April Fool's joke. You got anything for me? You know, the, the, the Mets uh, pretty much has, has gone through all Mets seasons right now. <laughs> they can't even oh, get on the field yet. Oh, wow. You just tied that in beautifully. That is the April Fool's joke. <laughs> the Mets do not start the season. You know, so many people in my life – or my fiance came home from work today. She's like, you know, my, my bosses were all saying, yeah, Dave must be pumped. And everyone's sending me messages about opening day. And it's funny. Cause like, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Today's opening day. So, but I, I still have a place in my heart for baseball, even though I don't work in, in baseball for those that can see me, I'm in Bush stadiums, dugout, little virtual background. So uh, there's so much for us to talk about. I love this thing you talk about with a confidence resume. I think it's brilliant. And with our network, the Injured Tool League community that we've built, and you're one of the starting lineup founding members and very active and very thankful for that. Let's, I like to do the bottom line up front. I love this idea about behind a confidence resume and, and so many people out there, whether they're a student that you're teaching as a biology teacher in high school, or if it's an athlete that you're working with or mentoring or coaching, confidence it comes down to confidence. So tell us all out there what this confidence resume is, your background with how you learn that through through your work as a mental performance coach and teacher. So the confidence resume actually was something that I was introduced to um, actually just as we were going back to school this year. We were um, dealing with how do I teach virtually and, and, and a totally new medium. And, and to be completely honest, I've been teaching for over 20 years and I was terrified. I, I, I you know, I was, I was really worried. I didn't know if I could translate. Humor is a big part of how I teach. Um, my facial expressions are a big part of how I communicate. And I, I just was not feeling comfortable about it. So I, I kind of did some research. Part of the idea of being fascinated, not frustrated. And I, I looked in and I, and I found this idea of the confidence resume where you, you answer some basic questions like what are some of the 
things you're most proud of in your career or in your sport? Could you think of one opportunity that came up that you worked through it? And, and that really allowed me to build that confidence. So when I went into school and, and did this virtual experience, I was ready to go. And I was, I was using my past wins to drive my future wins, which was which is important. I love that, Sean. And you, what I really have found with you in particular as a biology teacher, as a lover of sports yourself and going through your own injuries and and working as a mental performance coach, especially as kind of like you've been working as a teacher for a long time, you were a baseball coach, you take a lot of your own experiences that you've been through and you apply that to your work with athletes and, and your students. Let's talk a little bit about your humble beginnings of what brought you to wanting to become a mental performance coach. So I was coaching high school baseball and I was invited to be a coach for the Empire State Games, which is a big deal in New York. And the coaches that brought me on are the, the who's who of Long Island baseball. Like half of them have fields named after them. The Long Island Baseball Mafia? Yeah, so they, they brought me on, and, and I was definitely the new guy in this experience, and I was much closer to the players' age as, as high school students than I was to the other coaches. And the first day we were doing workouts, this kid is on the mound, and he's just pumping 90, this big lefty, and it was unbelievable. And I'm like, you know, where's this kid going? And they're like um, – He's got no offers on the table whatsoever. And I, I couldn't believe it. And he gets through the, the inning, his, his tryout inning, and he gave up one, like, really cheap broken bat type hit. And he runs over to the field. He runs right through the dugout over to the practice field in the middle of the night. It's dark. And you could hear him screaming and cursing at himself. So the, the head coach turns to me and he goes, that's why you're here. <laughs> he, he go, you deal with crazy kids every day. If you want him as the project, he stays on this team. If you don't, we're, we're not going to take him. So I wasn't saying no to these guys, <laughs> the Mount Rushmore of baseball. So um, I was like, yeah, I'll take him on. And I remember running to the bookstore right after practice. It was across the street grabbed anything on heads up baseball Ken Revis's book and I literally went chapter by chapter with this kid and he he wound up having a great Empire State Games he got signed to a Juco college in Texas he got drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays um, uh, he, he made opening day rosters um, for the Blue Jays and then he got traded to the A's but uh, every time I see him pitching on TV it's kind of nice, and, 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 and it all came down to that moment of, like, did I have the right mindset for that kid? Could I get him to believe in himself and get him to the next level? And, and that kind of put the fire for me. All right, so I love this story. I, a few things. Number one, you're giving me an image of, like, Mighty Ducks – the guy that the kid that's skating he can't stop. You're giving me like <laughs> a few other movie references. I don't know Char, uh, Charlie Sheen in was it the Major Leagues where he Major he, League? 
he's great on the the mound, but he's got all kinds of problems. You know, he, he's he's not the best person off the the field. You're giving me this these kind of. We have a lot of players out there that have all the skill in the world, and I I saw it with the Cardinals. You have players that I won't name names, but you got some players that throw over a hundred miles an hour. And in other departments, we needed to do a lot of work. First of all, a little context. Give me a year here. So that was 2009, probably. Somewhere okay. on there. All right. So 2009, we're still five years before mental performance is even really a thing, an integrated thing in baseball, let alone at, the, at this level. Tell me, the, how did you connect to this player? And what were those first steps of having the conversation? I, I actually asked him a question, um, which I didn't know anything about mental performance at the time, but it actually is a big question in mental performance. Is this behavior helping or hurting you reach your goals? And that, that was the, the beginning of our conversation. And we wound up having every meal together <laughs> for, for the tournament. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot. We, he was our, he was going to be our pitcher to get us to the championship game if everything worked out correctly. So we spent a lot of time in the bullpen just kind of talking about scenarios. And if this happens, how do you think you're going to respond and what could be a different way to respond? Um, and, and it was, it was amazing because he came out and he was lights out for four innings, like just unbelievable. And in the fifth inning, I'll never forget this. I'm sitting in the dugout. He strikes a guy out. It was a nasty lefty slider. Ball gets away from the catcher. The kid's safe at first. I'm like, all right, let's see what he does with this. He takes a deep breath. I'm like, all right, this is good. Next pitch. He hits the kid. And I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> here we go. And he looks over to me in the dugout and smiles. And then he struck out the next two guys. Ah, so this, he, he, was, he, was playing, he was playing games with you. He knew how good he was. And he almost knew that the mental piece was, was important. So there was quick buy-in, it seems like. It seems like it was a match made in heaven connecting with you. I love what you just, go ahead. Oh, no. It, yeah, it, what, I, what was interesting is the next inning was his last inning, and he gave up, like, two blue pits and a run, and he came in and he ripped a Gatorade bottle in half. Yeah. So he might have <laughs> known, but he, he, was, he wasn't there yet to regulate emotionally yet. So it, was, it sounds like it was a project, a nice, fun project, your first introduction into this. So that's cool. Fireworks right from the get-go for you with mental performance. So I, I want to key into what you just said there with mental performance. You talked about behaviors that are not aligned with your goals, right? We want to change those behaviors, but let's rewind that back even more and talk about goals as a mental performance coach. So it's interesting as a physical therapist, as a personal trainer, as a, as a nutritional coach, a lot of times we come up with goals, right? We use the smart principle, 
specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time dependent, yada, yada, yada. I'm sure you use this as, as a teacher too. You have learning objectives and, and curriculums and all that fun stuff that, that's on the way to the world on your shoes and do it through a, a Zoom call. In terms of goal setting, in terms of getting even to that first point from a mental performance coach standpoint, because there's this whole line between mental health, mental performance, and it's really carving out this niche. Tell me, what does it mean to be a mental performance coach and help somebody with these quote unquote goals, visions, dreams, mission statements? What's your opinion on all that? So one of the big things I like to distinguish between is sports psychology and mental performance. Right. Um, with, with mental performance, I'm not trying to fix anything. Sports psychology, they, they have a tendency to try to fix things. I'm not fixing anything. The people that I work with have all the ability that they need. I just have to give them the strategies to help them get closer to their results. So if I can give them the right strategies, then we're, we're going to progress. And, and understanding those strategies is, is really important. Um, simple term, building awareness. Like I, I think the ultimate goal of any mental performance coach is to get those strategies into your clients, your players, your students, and then they don't need you anymore. Like I think that, and it's probably the same with your, your physical therapy, you know, get, get them to the point where they don't need you anymore. Um, they have it all. Sean, you're absolutely right. And I know, you know, this personally going through your own physical therapy yourself with your knee. And it, it is a pervasive model that exists. Fix the knee pain. Now people let's talk about that. So somebody comes to the doctor, the orthopedist, the Dave Meyer, the physical therapist, and they want something fixed, which is their pain or they're not able to do a sport to partake in a sport or an activity because of that pain that's in the way of it. And the interesting thing though, is really a lot of times there it's not so much fixing that pain to get them back to it. It really that I found is to help them have a more uh, growth related perspective of the situation to to empower themselves with knowledge, with with strategies and tools to grow through it. And I think that's what separates me from a lot of my colleagues, where I look at myself as more of a coach than a, than a fixing physical therapist. And I think a lot of traditional psychologists, they, they're looking to fix, they're looking to, you know, resolve inner conflict and ch connect with the inner child. And all of a sudden, maybe make a real, a more realistic dream come true. But as a mental performance coach, as a, as a coach in general, we're really trying to help guide and facilitate what's already natural to that individual. And I love that about mental performance. You're looking at confidence. You're looking at ways to improve your, your own way of, 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 thinking about things in terms of your your belief system we and, don't it's, have it, and it's one of those things that's very interesting in our society now we're very much a go to the doctor fix it mm -hmm. um, students are very much just tell me what I need to know and preach on preach this is what I always and, say and when using when you understand that growth mindset and that idea of I I can do all of this it's not going to be fast, but the journey truly is going to be the reward of all of this. 
So that's, it's, that's wonderful. And you know, Sean, you just, you just brought me into a really important topic to have you speak on. I totally agree. And I've talked time and time again about not fixing and instead growing and, and my kind of my sentiments towards the traditional model in academics and in healthcare. And the one, the pervasive issue in both of those systems is that we try to pigeonhole our students and our clients and our athletes and our patients in these buckets instead of just finding what's great inside of them. So let's jump right into this whole topic of Angela Duckworth's amazing work with grit that you and I both love. I want to hear from you because you're a teacher and a mental performance coach. That for me, <clears throat> excuse me, it's such a special duo that you have there because there's Angela's work just to briefly give a background with grit and the grit scale. She was looking at ways to improve the, the ability for her students to, to be successful that came from different backgrounds that didn't have the same opportunities. And she really discovered, she stepped in SHIT and she realized, well, this grit thing his growth mindset thing that Carol Dweck talks about and Marty Seligman is really what's behind even what successful cadets at West Point had rather than the, the, score, the, the GPA or the nomination or, or their backgrounds. And I want to hear from you, though, going through COVID, right? You have these students that you're working with in a different capacity. You have these hardships. Talk to me about how grit has been important over the last year working with students and the similarities and the connection between that and athletics. So with Angela Duckworth, um, what's kind of interesting is her original work was figuring out who wouldn't succeed and who would succeed. And, and that was kind of the, 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 the driver for her as, as, you know, why, why did, you know, instead of just dismissing it, you know, they didn't succeed. She wanted to figure out why people did succeed. Um, and she came up with the, you know, it's effort. It's, it's always been effort, you know, in her formulas, effort is multiplied twice. And th that's one of those things that in, in education and in society in general, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to get people to realize, like you can be, you know, a social media superstar with no talent whatsoever. You can, you, we've seen numerous people make millions of people because they can manipulate the media. And there wasn't a lot of effort put in, but they got amazing results. So a lot of people, especially young teenagers, think that the results should come easily as opposed to the effort that you have to put in. They, they don't see the behind the scenes. Um, in athletics, things like ESPN has been very good at showing the behind the scenes, um, showing the Steph Curry being out there ahead of time, um, showing Clayton Kershaw on an off day doing a bullpen with, without a baseball and just visualizing everything. So it, we're, we're hopefully swinging back to the idea that effort is going to lead to your results as opposed to likes and, and dopamine releasing. Sean, jump in. Let me jump in here. So tell me the last year with effort. And I totally agree. I mean, now the, the, the kids are home. They're on the gram. They're on the link. They're on everything. 
And there is a pervasive mentality that things should be real, maybe a little bit of that instant gratification. I'm a millennial. I'm 35. I'm still a millennial. Talk to me, though, about over the last year with effort, right? That we know that's a key component of the equation for Angela with, with grit. And I kind of, I took that effort times belief equals manifestation because I think, and we'll talk about belief later, but tell me, what have you seen from an effort standpoint now that the accountability might've been different through a Zoom call? What did that look like for you? So last year was pretty bad. <laughs> um, the, the one good thing we had for us is that we had built relationships with kids for three quarters of the year. So there was very few of my students that, that kind of packed it in. This year coming back, um, it, it, it's been difficult. And, and part of that difficulty is we didn't, as a, a district, as a society, we didn't set expectations for what remote learning looks like because no one really had it. Um, I spent my better part of last summer reading about distance learning and, and looking at the research and what worked and what didn't. But it was so minimal that I think this year we, we've kind of gone through that growing phase. Um, and if you didn't have the right mindset, if you didn't believe that everybody could learn and everyone could be successful, um, you probably had a, a more difficult time with it. And, and I do have students that struggle with it. Um, I do have students that absolutely knock it out of the park and could, and, and, and they could do remote learning for the rest of their lives. Um, so so it, there on one hand, there's this possibility that some are going to fall through the cracks and the effort's going to go down. But then tell me about, and there's so many things to talk about with, with our, our youth right now, the anxiety that they're facing, feeling like they're, they're embodying what they see around their families, the anxiety they see in their family, that maybe it's, it's related to income, maybe it's related to the virus itself and health and losing family members and all of these different elements. But Tell me if this is, if this is, there's truth to this. Were there any students where you saw an increase in effort, where you saw some students rise that you Absolutely. didn't expect? Tell me about that. Absolutely. Um, there, there were students that no matter what, they were, they were not going to accept that their academics were going to suffer at all. Um, and, and, and I've seen that this year they're, they're, you know, normally there's a, you know, you know, we talk about 10, 80, 10, you know, there's that 10% kid, those kids never need you. They're, they're going to do really well. A lot of the 80% are going towards that 10% where they are really, really understanding how much control they have over their education, which is, is, is probably the greatest thing that we could ever teach them, that, that autonomy, um, where now they're reaching out to people that they wouldn't reach out to Absolutely. normally. I've seen this too. And, 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 it's, and it's great. And you, you mentioned anxiety. Um, one of the things just last week I worked with my students is anxiety is that you're fortune telling. You're, you're, you're Future thinking, tripping. Yeah. And, and I always tell them, I'm like, you know, 
if you can fortune tell, tell me the lotto numbers, we're good. <laughs> right. But they, 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 I think it's that idea. We just need to give them the strategies. And, and even though generationally we're, we're different, you know, I'm generation X, you're a millennial. I'm teaching the Z's. Um, we, we all have that. We, we, as a, as a species, we haven't changed that much in 30 years. And, I, you know, you, yeah. And it's really interesting. We're talking about anxiety. There's a book, Unwinding Anxiety, that was written by Judson Brewer. And this was featured on a podcast by Rich Roll, great podcast out in Malibu. Uh, he's a vegan athlete, extreme athlete, retired attorney. And I was listening to the, uh, this physician talk about his work on anxiety and how there's almost no evidence that anxiety is beneficial, right? Fear, there's, there is some level of benefits to being fearful, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want to get hit by the bus. We react to it. But anxiety, there is almost no evidence scientifically that it helps us. We look at our youth and we look at the anxiety that they're, that's developing from seeing those around them through this pandemic and seeing what's going through social media and through the media in general. But, you know, he, this is why somebody like you, a Sean O'Neill, who is a mental performance coach and a teacher, you're bringing both those together. Sean, why aren't we certifying more teachers as mental performance coaches? Why is there not that shift yet where more of your, not your peers in general specifically, but more teachers out there, why are they not taking the leap like you have to be a trailblazer and, and try and offer more to your students by learning more about these concepts we're talking about? Well, if you, the last time I looked, Major League Baseball, 26 out of 30 teams had a mental performance coach. So it's, it's still rel relatively new. Um, I think the, the idea we have to get to the public is we're not fixing anything. That's, that's a big part of it. Um, I'm, we've talked about major league players, you know, very hesitant about trying anything new and um, that, that's kind of a mindset. But in education, the growth mindset has has really exploded over the last five to seven years and and there are some districts and some teachers that are doing an amazing job with it um it's like anything it's just the the rollout is a little bit slow the hesitancy is there the i can't take on one more thing <laughs> um you know i i i have a regents exam that my my report card is tied to. Um, how can you ask me to do this when you want these results? And you, you just have to have that confidence that you can you can do both. Um, and that's that's something that we're working on. Yeah. No. And you just made the a great analogy. Baseball itself, Major League Baseball is still taking more advantage of mental performance and physical therapy even not I, last time i know last year not every team had a physical therapist i don't know if this year they're finally up to speed but look in the world of industry or the world of the titans of industry sometimes they're just slow to adopt and especially when you're talking about a lot of stakeholders involved i i think you make a great point though that there's a lot that 
teachers are expected to do and a lot of the clinicians are expected to do and it could be it could be scary for them so i think the more people like yourself and myself that are encouraging our peers to go outside the box i think we're going to see great things happen and with angela's work it's amazing to see how that how the grit idea has been really uh, has caught wind in education so moving go ahead and it's and it's going to be our students and our clients that really push that forward. Um, I just had, I, I received a letter from a student. I had them in ninth grade and that's three years ago is when I really dove deep into the Brian Kane um, mental performance. And I, and I used a lot of stuff with them. And, and one of them was we set, we set missions. We don't set goals. And when I was leaving um, that's, you know, the end of the year, she wrote me a little note and she said, you know, I, I'm not going to set a goal. I have my mission. And two weeks ago, she sent me an email, mission completed on the valedictorian. Wow, that's and, cool. And she talks about that to all of the administrators. And, and, and she does, you know, interviews with the school newspaper. And, and she's like, you know, probably the, the greatest thing that I got out of my schooling was this idea of mindset. And, and that's going to be the, the advertisement that maybe somebody sees this or maybe somebody reads it and they go, all right, what's this all about? And, I, and I've had teachers who I don't know message me and go, can you tell me about this mental performance stuff? That's, a, that's huge right there. The, the success, the proof is in the pudding. And I love that story with the valedictorian and how it was just that shift in perspective from a goal it, it, think about goals, right? We talk about baseball opening day, and we're going to shift a little bit now into into the sports side. And I want to talk about what we can take from from academics. But think about these goals, right? As athletes, we we want to hit three hundred. We want to sign the five million dollar, ten million dollar plus contract. We want to score this many runs. We want to, you know, it's all objective, number oriented. As school in school, we want this GPA right? We want to get into this program. None of these things, when you think about it, right? It is a mission. But I think when I hear the word mission versus goal, the one thing I think about when I, when I hear the word mission, I start hearing Tom, the Tom Cruise music in the background. And I think of a process. I, I see Tom Cruise doing his thing. Hmm? When I think of a goal, I think of something written down. I think of hitting 300, getting into Harvard. But when I think of mission, I think of it as an active process. And I yeah. think any of us out there, right? I, I'm, I'm still doing different things and growing in, in different ways in my in different industries. But if I've learned anything, it's, it's so cliche and true though. It's not the goal. It never is the number because what happens? It's the next number. Tell me... Sean, what you've taken from acade academics and how does this, how is this like a symbiotic relationship between the textbooks and the field? Because there is this school and sports, it's, it's love and marriage. Tell me, what have you taken and how have you put these together in your life and your work? So one of them is the 1% the intention. If, if you want to get something better at something, dedicate 1% of your day extra 
to that particular product. So 1% of your day is 14 minutes and 27 seconds. So if you really want to get better at something, dedicate an extra 15 minutes a day to that, whether it's, you know, your worst subject in school, or it's a skill that you're, you want to develop on the field, or, you know, in my case, it's reading, <laughs> you know, it's, it's setting that, that 1%, I'm going to get 1% better every day. I'm not going to get a hundred percent better in a week, but I'll get 1% better each day. And that, that's the, the grit is that, that effort. And some days you don't want to do it, but you know that if you do it, you're getting that much closer to your mission. One of my favorite teachers, his name was Mr. Ishan, fifth grade. And I don't know why, but sometimes I think of, I think of you when I think of him now. And I think back to being in fifth grade and geography was a big piece and I really started to enjoy it. And it was just, it was really the way he treated me. Put me into your classroom. Put me into your classroom. I want to know, how do you take the athlete mentality and how do you infuse this into your students? And then how do you take the student mentality and infuse that in your athletes? Give me some real examples of how you're putting this into use and put me, put me into the back of your classroom for a second. So it starts with emotion. Like to, to, to get anyone to buy into your process, you have to connect with them on an emotional level. We have to communicate. Um, one, one of the things very early on in my career, I learned that a kid in the building doesn't walk by me without me saying hello. That's, it's, it's such a very simple thing to do, but I can judge their body language. I can see if they're have, not having a good day. I can ask questions about that. Um, if they did something special, I can encourage them with it. So even though, and even remotely, we have, we have opportunities where we can reach out and, and make an emotional connection. And you see this with your, your clients in, in PT. If, if you like the person, they're going to do more for you. It's, it's pretty simple. Um, we're, we're not, it's not rocket science. I think this is, well, you bring up a great point. You have to connecting with your students. It seems like that's something that you keep at the forefront. And a lot of my, even in past lives, when I was working with athletes, a lot of times we feel like, oh, we have a job to do with this individual before we even connect with them. And it can become overwhelming. There's a lot of social psychology things to talk about, the similar to me effect. But when you're a teacher, there's a little bit of that age, there's an age difference there's an experience difference. The same thing that happens with coaches, but let's, let's learn what you do as a teacher, even with that dis difference in age where you still are able to connect in a very appropriate, meaningful way. How do you, what's the art there? Teach us. So one, I like that you say teaching is an art uh, because it, it really is. And it's something that we'll never master. Like one of the things that, drives me a little pet peeve is when they say like you've been teaching for eight years you're a master teacher i'm never going to be a master teacher it's 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 just i can get better every day but i will never master this and just even this year 
one of the things that I'm working on is asking better questions of my students because you can get into that rut of where, well, I've seen it 10 years ago in this kid and it's the exact same thing. So it, it's, it's gotta be the same problem and I can fix it the same way. And it's not. Like when I started in the classroom, there wasn't a computer on my floor. And now they're all over the place. So that idea of just, you have to change. You have to change with with, with the students. Um, I, I am very big on feedback. Um, I'm very big with, with self-reflection. I, I tell the kids, I give them, you know, I, I want you guys to give me feedback on this and don't worry about hurting my feelings. It's, it, you can. And th they, they take ownership in that. You know, I've, I've had students tell me, you know, you know, I don't like when you mention this sports team because I like the other sports team. And that's something that you never even think about, but it's important to that kid. And if I don't do a good job, that could build a divide that I, I, I don't want. So it's, it's one of those things we asking better questions of kids. Um, that that's my goal this year. That's a that's an amazing goal. So you get your feedback from even the the student that is half you know whatever age compared to you. It's it's not about that for you. It's about being humble, being very very humble. It sounds like which I I don't exist without my students. Like I I tell them all the time. I'm like if if, if I'm absent, a substitute comes in. If I don't have students. There's no one there. We're, we are the ultimate public service agency. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that, but if our students don't come in, there's no need for us. We, we, we're serving them now. Sean, tell me, I know that you were pre-med before going into, into the direction of teaching. I feel like one of the reasons why teachers out there and physical therapists out there and doctors out there that are not kind of waking up to some of these things we're talking about is because they're dealing with their own internal battles, their inner shadow. I like, I call it the inner shadow. Carl Jung, the psychologist in the late 1800s was really the one with psychoanalysis for, uh, and, and alongside Freud really kind of coined the inner shadow, the inner self, a sense of self. And I feel like for us to heal healthcare, to heal academics, to heal sports, and I think all three of those are insanely connected. I really do. I think through those, we can heal the world. But as cliche as this sounds, it really does start with our own inner shadow, our own inner self. And I feel like a lot of us are scurrying around with a, a wounded inner soul that's trying to the, go out and fix somebody else without even addressing ourselves. Sean, tell me, walk us through your own journey of how you've found your own confidence and you've came to terms with yourself to then be out there and evolve and to give this to these students going through tough times, these athletes that are going through tough times that are breaking the Gatorade bottles. And tell me how your own inner shadow, you were able to come to terms with that to then become this really growth-oriented amazing teacher and mental performance coach it's kind of the idea of 
planting this tree that I'll never see grow. That's that's part of it. Um, another part of it is. Well, tell me more on that. So. I create a legacy, I guess, that my alumni carry, um, and and I'll 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 never see how far it goes, but planting the seed at least lets me think that it's going to go, and and I'm I'm very fortunate. Um, been doing this for quite a while. Some of my students are teachers in my building and and i will catch them doing something that i did 20 years ago and and i kind of laugh at it but it, i i think a lot of it comes with being just reflective when you you mentioned athletics and medicine and teaching those are three jobs where there's a tremendous financial incentive for for people to go into it and i think for some that's it that's their why and as long as they're getting a paycheck they're okay with checking the boxes but there are going to be those that even if they won the lotto tomorrow they'd still be doing it where it's it's more of a, a personal, self-aware, self-reflective, um, society view. Um, Sean, is there a way that we can cre still create a legacy? I I couldn't agree more there. I think that is gold. Having a legacy really should be at the pinnacle of any coach, any clinician, any professional, any service industry related person. If you don't have a legacy in mind then really you, you're operating, you're operating. But tell me, Sean, what is your belief there? Do you think that we can still have a legacy and earn the income and still have the numbers behind it? How do we put those together? How do we empower others to do both? I think a part of that comes with time. It, it you know, when, once you get comfortable I guess financially, you stay uncomfortable with what you can do, and and that's that's a, a key, like that idea. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, don't get comfortable being comfortable. <laughs> is that is that something that you've done in your career? Being that you've been a teacher as long as you have been, have you been? Have, is that something you've been very mindful to do, even being a teacher after all these years? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm in a profession of learning. So if I'm not learning, how could I ask my students to learn? Sean, how do we spread this message? How do we get to a point, Sean, where we're getting this in front of all the, the right stakeholders that understand bringing mindfulness, bringing mental performance this attitude of 1% better, legacy, planting a seed. Tell me, brother, what do we do to bring this to the forefront to heal our world? I think as an individual, you focus on what you control. Uh, you know, it's almost May. Um, you know, Newsday will be 
reporting about how overpriced teachers are and how we're not working and, and how we refuse to get vaccinations and, and all that negativeness that, that kind of goes at times with teaching. That's, that's not my business. So sticking I, I, to your sticking to your legacy and sticking to what it is that you can do that one percent, and just keep on and just keep on pushing that forward one by one. Yeah, and and you know, you you at this point in my career, I've taught over two thousand students, so the tree is 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 growing. The, the, the sapling is there. That's unbelievable. Tell me one of the experiences you had with it, either a, a developing student or an athlete that touches your heart that you can recall on in moments where you're going through the struggle yourself. Tell me one of those moments that really is heartfelt for you that you're able to bring to the forefront. Oh man, I, I am so fortunate to have so many. Um, I actually keep a, a, a envelope in my work bag that's filled with notes from students along the way. Um, so whenever I'm having a bad day, I can, there's my confidence resume right there. I uh, but I, I remember very, very early in my career, probably my fourth or fifth year, um, the valedictorian was speaking at graduation. And before it, they came up to me, they handed me a, a note and it just said, you know, pay attention to this speech. And this was a, a very overperforming student. Uh, want, went to MIT, aerospace engineer is, is doing, and every day would come to my class and just be so stressed out. And every day I made them smile. I was like, you have to smile. Like you, you're not leaving here without smiling. I will fail you if you don't smile. Um, and, and, and that was every day, the mantra, remember to smile. You know, now we call it gratitude. Back then I didn't know it, um, but, but remember to smile. And, and her valedictorian speech was based on that idea of remembering to smile. And I was, wow. a, I was kind of a young hotshot teacher. So I was like, all right. And, and I was sitting in a section with all teachers and some of them were close to retiring and they're sobbing oh yeah you were dusting you didn't you you couldn't believe it probably they like i i was kind of just taken back but they're sobbing and they're going most of us will go our entire career with never having a moment like this and you you need to remember this and i've been fortunate that they told me that because I'm, I'm very aware of those moments now and I appreciate them now. And that, that confidence resume that I have in my bag of all the notes and graduation pictures and all that, um, that's, that's gratitude. And that gets me through the tough times. That's beautiful. That's an amazing moment. I could see it. I could see it. You know, we listened to the speeches of famous celebrities. Denzel Washington gave a great commencement speech I listen to on a daily basis and it pumps me up. But then there's the, the people like you that are just going about your work and, and hearing something like that is unbelievable. I wish I, I could hear that, that valedictorian speech. I want to talk 
as we get close to the, the end of the show here, something for all of us, whether we're a teacher, a physical therapist, the mental performance coordinator for the Cardinals or the director of medical and rehabilitation for a team. I talk about this with my personal account. I had a player that he had, he just wasn't feeling great mentally and I saw it, but I didn't have the right conversation with him. And it ended up being something where, you know, he was suicidal. Tell me from all these different vantage points that you're able to wear in your own life. When we see stress, struggle, anxiety, the nasty stuff in somebody in front of us, it could be a student, it could be an athlete. How do we become more comfortable and where do we start with a conversation to help that individual? Where does it start for you? I, I, you brought me back to something early in my career where a student of mine was struggling and I was like, come on, let's, let's go talk to the guidance counselor about this. Let's go talk to the social worker about this. And we sat down and the social worker right out of the blue was like, are you thinking of killing yourself? And the kid was like, yes. And it just, I froze. And I was like, huh, what, huh? And, and I learned that day that you just got to ask, you know, you, you, you ask that question, um, no matter how uncomfortable it is for you, um, realize you don't have to have the answer for, for their problem. Um, but sometimes just asking is, is the, the catalyst and then you can get them help. You can, you know, but just that asking is, is key. I think that this is the thesis right there of, of, of being a coach. And you said it before, it seems like a theme for you. You are asking for feedback. That is a golden word as a human being when you're communicating, when you're coaching, asking. That is such a powerful word. I think as human beings, we do want to fix. We want to fix. We want to make somebody smile. I want to fix someone's knee and, and, and stretch it the right way. As a doctor, I want to give somebody the right pill. I'm sure you and I can connect over so many different accounts in our lives where we had to ask a question to really cross that bridge and, and help that individual and allow that individual to help himself. And I think on a daily basis, if we just go a little bit slower, like you did in that, in, in that situation, maybe you didn't ask if, he, if that student wanted to commit suicide, but you knew to act and you knew that somebody else would, would maybe have the right questions we all need to flex the asking muscle. We have to ask ourselves too. You've took it out of my mouth. <laughs> you took it out of my mouth. You have to ask yourself. And that's what I brought up before with the inner shadow. So we first have to start asking ourselves, why am I rushing? The moment for me there, I had 15 people in the training room. I, I had to get the players back in this dugout you see behind me in Bush Stadium. And I was super excited to be there my first year. It was my dream. All it took for me in that situation, 
if I dialed it back, if I relived that, was asking. In that situation, the player did almost, he it almost costed his life. Very fortunate situation. It could have costed that individual his life. And it didn't. However, if I was able to ask, it's possible that wouldn't have even been the case. I'm not saying I would have fixed or healed or, or, or whatever, but asking that person could have been speeding that process up. I think if we flex the asking muscle early on, right away, today, by first asking ourselves, why am I rushing? Why am I so focused on everything, all this noise? Ask yourself, ask yourself, what is the urgency, right? Sean, I mean, you've been doing this a long time and I, I really do believe that our teachers should go back to being those that we raise up on a pedestal. It should be, it should be looked upon as, as the, the savior of these atrocities that are happening catching it in the school systems, catching it while they're developing, maybe they're not having the right parenting. That one teacher like you can change a life, whether they become a professional athlete or not. We all go through the school system. So I really think that the work you're doing, the legacy you're leaving is, is humbling. Is humbling. And it, and it absolutely is. It's humbling, and I'm sure you feel that going through a Zoom call 1,500, <laughs> and I'm sure it humbles you on a daily basis. But um, the last thing I kind of – I really wanted to touch on this subject. With mental performance coaches, I think about personal training. You think of like Charles Atlas, and you think about Lou Ferrigno and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger and the evolution through the 20th century of bodybuilding and working out. And now all of a sudden you had personal trainers, Jack LaLanne, right? And I'm out of sequence here, but, and then you saw personal training as a profession. You saw NASM and ACSM and excuse me, and ACE and all these different and NSCA all of a sudden personal trainers that that's a career path. And then you see strength and conditioning. And it really started out as the doctors and the and even the physical therapists and then branched out. And now you're seeing from a psychology standpoint, you have mental performance. And I, I almost, I, I, I see all these different themes though, where people are kind of putting themselves in different boxes, whether it's mindfulness, personal development, coaching, mental health, spirituality, high performance, mo motivational speaking. Sean, are you agnostic or do you find yourself in, in one or a few of those categories? I dabble in everything. <laughs> uh, you, you, you mentioned at the very beginning of this, you know, Rustavaris. If, if you could be a fly on the wall of a, of a workout <laughs> with the two, with the two been, of us. I've been, I, well, not with you and him, but I've been a fly on the wall with Russ. I, let me tell you something, a story about, and just wrapping up, we got, we just heard from the producer. We're coming off air in a few minutes, but I was in a room with Russ. Let me tell you something. I was a physical therapist for about nine years up until that point. And I watched him for a day and this is me. And he's integrating mental performance. He's talking about what inning are you in? And he's, he's doing rehab. And I'm like, where's, I literally felt like I didn't even go to school yet. So I couldn't imagine with the both of you.
So you're doing, you're doing amazing work and, and shout out to Russ and we'll get him on the show soon. I want to just, I want to, you know, hit a few of these points again that you said 1% better, whether you're a student or an athlete or an individual mission, not goals, mission. What's the mission, right? Asking, asking, asking. It can save someone's life. It can save your life. It can we, save your life. Yeah, we, we all have those questions. You know, am, am I really happy? That's, that's, that's a great question. You know, what makes you happy? That, that kind of, what's, what are your core principles? Those are things that drive you. It starts sometimes with a thought, then you can put a pen to paper and you can, you can, in this day and age, you can streamline it to the world. You could broadcast it. I mean, it you starts. Write a book about it. You could write a little bit of a book, Injured to Elite, about it. Get it on Amazon. <laughs> um, I have two copies. You're going to, I'm going to give you many more and we're going to do awesome things together. Um, and, and the last thing that, that I've learned today from you is planting the seed and having a legacy. You want to be an amazing individual. Forget about the numbers, the result, leave a legacy. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Just wrapping up and telling people about some of the things you and I are, are working on the injured to elite network. You've been really a blessing having you in the community as a teacher and a mental performance coach from Brian Kane. I'm so great, grateful to have you being able to help mentor the youth and we do the youth of the profession and, and, and we're all youth at heart. So it's been amazing having you a part of it. We have a big webinar titled healing healthcare, how it starts with our voices on May 1st. And I hope to see many out there and joining the injured to elite network. You can go to injured to elite.com forward slash network to learn more about it, where many other members are there too, such as John Cullen, who's another mental performance coach through Brian Kane. Sean, it's been an absolute pleasure bringing you on today. I really am so thankful for the work you do. I don't have kids yet, but when I do, I pray that they get a teacher like you. Thanks, Dave. I, I appreciate that. Sean, thank you for being a loyal fan of me and, and also coming on today and uh, making this happen. Thank you so much. 